coming to you from the Woodland Baptist Ministry Center, home of the Woodland Baptist Church, on the third day of April, 2022. Friends. Have you ever had a friend? Hopefully you have. (laughs) Maybe as a family member, but others outside the family too. My experience was with a guy that lives sort of diagonally across the street from us. His name was Doug Barron. (laughs) Doug, uh, I don't know, we didn't have a whole lot in common. Um, He went to a different school than I did. He was of a different faith than I was. But boy... We were thick as thieves. No, we didn't steal anything. (laughs) Just expression. We we just loved being together. He would get home from school and we had a small window of opportunity between the time we got home from school and about 5.30 or 6, depending on how those things got stretched out, which time we had to go to our prospective homes we're done for the night. Then we had Saturdays. But we just love being together. He got a paper route. I never got a paper route. Why? Because I rode with him. We delivered papers. Showed you how crazy I was. I didn't get paid. He got paid. But we loved going out and we would figure out how to do the route together and and get those papers delivered in no time and then ride over to the park and spend some time in the park and the playground there. Later on, we decided that we wanted to do some model trains. And so we are both broke as broke. So we would buy those sections at 25 cents each. And you think, wow, 25 cents, that's nothing. Oh, yeah, 25 cents will buy you a whole gallon of gas at that time. So so we were buying these little sections, and we put the train together. We had it over at his house so that we could put the stuff together. What made no sense to have half of it at my house and half. We shared those things in common. We just enjoyed being together. I hope you have good memories of a good friend. Thoughts of even those people today in your life that are your friends, what that means to you. The idea of sharing things in in common and having a care for one another. There's something special about being a friend. And I wanted to take this morning and bring those thoughts together with our passage today in John chapter 15. So if you're still there, that's fine. Otherwise, turn back to John 15, verses 12 and following. He says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command. No longer do I call you slaves, for a slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, 
For I have heard from my father, I have made what I have heard from my father and made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask of the father in my name, he will give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Now there's several themes running through this short, short section that we've covered before talking about the commandment to love one another as I have loved you. He starts this section and ends that section with those things. But I have a question for you. How can this be? And here's the question. How can you be expected to be a friend with someone who demands obedience from you? Can you imagine going and becoming a friend with somebody who said, I will be a friend with you if you obey everything that I say. Well, that could be the termination for our friendship, couldn't it? And yet that's what's in this passage. So my question is, how can this be? How can Jesus say, you're my friends, if you do whatever I command? It sounds like that shouldn't go together. So hopefully we will look at this. By the way, this concept of friendship with God, this is probably the predominant passage in all the scripture that talks about friendship. Abraham is referred to as a friend of God. There's other passages that talk about friendship, but it's more concentrated here than any place else. It's a strange mix. Master, slave, friend. Sounds like one of these doesn't fit. <laughs> Master and slave we get. Friend, how does those three things go together? And yet all three of them are referred to here. So let's look. What is a master? Well, the idea of being the boss, the owner, or whatever you would like to use. The master is the one who chooses the slave. That's what he says here in this passage. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. You should go and bear fruit. He says, I chose you. And we looked at that over the last couple of weeks. When Jesus would say to his disciples, you're busy fishing there, aren't you? Yes. Come and follow me. I choose you. Come and follow me. Says to the tax collector, Matthew, says you're busy collecting taxes for the Romans. Come and follow me. Leave those things. Come follow me. And so the call on our life is one that Jesus has called us to. Now, what is a slave? A slave is someone who's dependent and obligated, and subject to another's will. Little aside here, translations sometimes don't, they try and calm down some of the things that are were originally written. Um, you remember the story of Elijah, when he is talking to the prophets of Baal up on 
on the mountain and they tells him the sacrifice and they're, and they're supposed to call down fire. Baal is supposed to send it. And Elijah starts giving him more and more brief. And he says, maybe he's gone on a journey. Well, in our translation, it's he's gone on a journey. But we would, if we put it in the vernacular, it's, maybe he's gone to the outhouse so he's away from the house and he can't hear you. He says, all our righteousness says filthy rags. Well, there's filthy rags and then there's dirty diapers. And the description really is dirty diapers. Well, we come to the same sort of thing in the New Testament. If you were to look up the word slave and you were to use your Strong's Concordance, Strong's Concordance you wouldn't see that there's many times that it's listed. You will see, rather... The word servant. Why? Because servant is a lot softer. It's not quite as harsh. But is the word for slave. In fact, you probably are not familiar with Kittle, but Kittle Theological Dictionary, the New Testament words written by Kittle is like multi-volumes. It takes about this much room on your bookshelf. Multi-volumes. And when he gets to the word Doulos in the New Testament is it's basically a brief article, even though there's a bunch of references. It says, why? Because there's really no controversy. Doulos means slave. We get the word servant because it sounds more gracious, and we, we respond negatively to the idea of slave. We think of someone who's captured and under fetters and chains and they're used and abused and thrown away. That wasn't necessarily how the word is used. Certainly that could be because he's a slave. But slaves were found to be in all strata of Roman world. They could be a physician. They could be a tradesman. All they did was answer to a, a master. Some were treated very, very well. Others, as the word implies, were used and abused and thrown away. So it was up to the master what kind of person they were. But the master chooses the slave. Listen to what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. He was talking about sexual sin and staying pure. But the idea, you were bought with a price. You're not your own. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. He's talking to the leadership. He says, pray, pay close, careful attention to yourself and to all the flock, which this Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. He purchased it with his blood. 1 Peter chapter 1. Knowing that you were ransomed, purchased again, from your feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb, without blemish or spot. So we have the picture of a master. By the way, no one is Lord unless 
he has a slave. And no one is a slave unless he has a master. So we come to the second one. He talks about us being a slave. And he says, slave then, the commands in this passage for slaves are written right here in the passage. This is my command. I'm a master, you're a slave. This is my command. This is what you're to do. Love one another. That's what I want you to do. I want you to love one another. And he says, you are my friends if you do whatever I command. What I command you to do? Love one another. Love one another. John 13, 34 and 35, we already saw at the beginning of our study in the upper room, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. By this, all men, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. So the master is the one who chooses and commands. The slave is the one who is commanded in his command to respond to is the command to love. But he said there's a third element here, and this is the one that's sort of the, how does this fit? He says, I no longer call you slaves, but I call you friends in verse 15. Because a friend knows what his master is doing. And that's exactly what Jesus says. He says, I no longer call you servants, for a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I made known to you. He says, I haven't kept it a secret from you. A master may call a slave and say, oh, this is what I want you to do. I want you to do this and this and this. And by the way, children may ask this question, but a slave may not. And the question is, why? Kid will say, I want you to do this. Why? Well, because I'm the dad. That's <laughs> no and we're evoking that whole master-servant thing there, aren't we? But we go, no. A kid may respond that way. Slave, especially in the Roman world, wouldn't. That might be termination, and I mean permanently. But Jesus says, this is what I want you to do. And we were thinking, why? What? What are you about? What are you up to? Jesus says, most masters and slaves, a master doesn't have to tell, but I don't call you my slave anymore. I call you my friends, and I'll explain it to you. Why? Because we have that intimacy. We have that closeness. We have that camaraderie. We have those things in common now. Notice this passage came after Judas Iscariot is gone. He's talking to those of his disciples who are followers. Those who are our abiders. As we've been looking in John chapter 15. Friend knows what another friend is doing. And in this case, 
He says, I want you to be known that I see you as my friends and I have told you what we're about. Well, what is God about? Well, think about Jesus coming on the scene. We'll just backtrack for a few moments here and then we'll be caught up. The Jewish world at that time was looking for a Messiah, especially with Rome on their doorsteps. And what do they want? Deliverance. Let's get out of here. Get them out of here. Kick them out. Set up a really Jewish nation that is autonomous and, and under the authority of the Messiah, the Savior, Deliverer. And Jesus comes along and he starts teaching and preaching and they're going, what's, what's, what's going on here? And he starts talking about a kingdom. And they go, oh yeah, a kingdom. That's, we know that word. And he says, no, what a kingdom that's different. One that has a different territory. What, we look at the land around, here's Jerusalem down to the Mediterranean, up north, Galilean. Is that the territory you're talking about? He says, no, I'm talking about your heart. I'm talking about your heart. And his disciples walked and talked with Jesus over those three plus years of ministry. Jesus lets them in on what he's about. He's about a new kingdom. A kingdom that has to do with the heart. And that allegiance is not to some king who sits on the throne unless that throne is their heart. And he rules and reigns in the life of his believers. And you say, so does a friend know what the father and the son are up to? Yeah. They were about to get the heaviest dose in a few hours. For they were on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. They were soon to be betrayed by Judas. They were soon, Jesus was to be taken, gone through a mockery, but trial, beaten, stripped, platted thorns on his head, mocked, ridiculed, and judged guilty, and sent to the cross where he was to go and to die. But Jesus had already told his disciples. Why? Because they were his friends, not just his servants. He says, I'm going up to Jerusalem. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to go through this. And I'm going to go to the cross. Then I'll rise again. And they had insight. It was hard for them to grasp at that moment what Jesus was up to, but he hadn't kept it from them. And if you want to know how this impacted them, all you have to do is look into Acts chapter 2, when Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost, and he starts proclaiming these things. He didn't get that instruction overnight. This was a culmination of all those things that Jesus had taught them, and now, as the Holy Spirit comes upon him to preach, he says, ah, it's all come together now. All those things that you have shared with me, this is it. 
and he talks about them needing to get right with this one that they had put to death. So how is this to work? It doesn't sound like it would, but it does. Why? Because, and this is the coolest part, because the master, the Lord, who is master over them and they are slaves to him, has called them friends, but the master knows exactly what it's like to be a slave. He knows exactly what it means to be a slave and to sacrifice for his friends. I call up at this juncture, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, a very, very familiar passage, but it speaks to these very issues in John chapter 15. Lord, master, slave, servant, friend? Yes, because I've told you what we're about. And let me tell you a little about my experience. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is, which, uh, is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself and taking on the form of a slave, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. What Jesus had told them what he had informed them of, he lived out. And that's why he could call them friends. I know exactly what it's like to be on both sides. I know what it's like to be Lord of the universe in all of glory and all the splendor and all the accolades of heaven. And I know what it's like to be a slave live among men and be obedient to my father and go to the cross. I love this comment from John MacArthur. He says, you are a slave who became a son. He is a son who became a slave. You are a slave who will receive all the glories of heaven When your sonship is realized, he was a son who possessed all the glories of heaven and emptied himself of them to become a slave. So when he talks about, I chose you, he wasn't talking about, I chose you to be a slave. Alone, I chose you to be a slave, but also a friend. Can we ponder on that a moment? The God of the universe wants you and me 
as a friend? Really? There was guys I hung out with on the block. But we weren't really friends. But my friend Doug was something that was treasured. And Jesus says, I'm calling you my friend. I'm treasuring you. Have you ever thought of yourself as a friend? I mean, that was pretty high accolades in the Old Testament when it was in reference to Abraham. He's a friend of God. And you go, wow, that's something. But do you know he said the same thing to you and to me? I don't speak to you as servants anymore. I speak to you as friends. I have told you what I'm about. I'm sharing with you what I'm, what I'm up to and inviting you to be a part of it. <coughs> wow. What does it mean to be a friend? Jesus talks about the highest point of that is sacrifice. He says, greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. I was thinking about this, and I don't know why this story popped into my, into my mind, because it didn't ultimately end up with a sacrifice of this person's life but it was an impressive story nonetheless who is willing to offer up his life although it wasn't taken it happened on May 15th 1967 it was focused the focus on a major kettles major kettles was a flight commander with a helicopter assault company. And they had flown some soldiers into a particular battle area in what was euphemistically called Chump Valley. Mm -hmm. And the reason they called it that, because you had to be a chump to go there. It was a dangerous, dangerous place, and that's exactly what it turned out to be. Soon the unit was radioed that they needed to be taken out. So now they're flying back in. The unit is flying back in with several helicopters back into that area. And the helicopters just with thin skins and, and they're landing in a hot zone with taking on automatic fire and Tracer bullets whizzing around, and they're trying to, and they're sitting ducks, and they're taking on men, and when they get a load, get up and get out. Major Kettles volunteered to lead the flight of six helicopters in. His copter and those flying alongside him were raked with fire. And all the while, they're trying to evacuate the wounded. And they made a couple round trips that day. Major Kettles made it back to his base after the second trip with fuel leaking from his aircraft and his gunner 
severely wounded. And then they got a call. They still needed emergency evacuation of 40 remaining troops. So more helicopters were taken, and Kettles got a new helicopter because the other one wouldn't fly. And he's headed back into the zone. And he was the last one out. And as he was coming out, and they were all headed back, all the support ships that had come in, the, some of the attack helicopters and, and some of the uh, even propeller-driven aircraft that had done some ground support had all pulled back, and they all were returning back to base, having evacuated all these men. When he got another call, there's still more. In which time he turned around and flew back to that zone and now he had no support. All fire was focused on his helicopter. The glass in the nose of his helicopter was shot out. Holes riddled that helicopter. He took up the men and the load was greater than what this helicopter should lift. But he tuned it so that it would take off and not necessarily go forward so he could get up and out of the zone. Severely damaged the helicopter. But he rescued the men. Even after his commander had told him, don't go back. It's too dangerous to go back. He said, I gotta go back. Remarkably, he survived. And those men survived. And he was asked after the fact, years later, someone was listening to him tell a story. And he goes, well, what was your award? Did you get any recognition for what you had done? No. And they ended up giving him Medal of Honor. But I loved what he had to say. A long time after the fact, now there was the Vietnam Wall there of remembrance. And he made reference to that. And he says, I wanted to keep those names off that wall. Yes. And that's what the Lord is about. Lord says, I've called you friends. I've let you know what I'm about. I'm here to save souls. I'm here to redeem men. You go know, and you want me to be a part of it as your friend? You've led me in on what this is about. You've included me in the process. Wow. God of the universe says, I want you to be my friend. Wow. <laughs> We're going to share the Lord's Supper here in a moment or two. We're going to share the elements, broken bread representing his body, broken for us. Fruit of the vine, the grape juice, shed 
on our behalf, as it represents his blood. And it just stays that way. It's just grape juice, just crackers, some of it. But how powerful. What a, what a story. What a true story. As we come to share these, we're told to partake in a worthy manner. And I was sharing this with Sunday school, so this is repeat for all those that were here. <laughs> I said, you know, we, we try and let you know a week ahead of time before we're going to do the Lord's table so that you can prepare your heart. What do we mean by that? You say, well, the Lord offered up his life because of the sin in our life. And if there's sin in our life, and we come to the Lord's table, we're told not to partake if in an unworthy manner. And what it means to me is that we would come before the Lord at the Lord's Supper and say, Lord, you offered up your life to deal with a sin issue in mine. The Holy One died for the unholy. The righteous for the sinner. I need to take advantage of this time to get right with you. We try and let you know a week in advance so that you can prepare your heart so you're ready to come to the table and to share. But maybe you haven't prepared or maybe you haven't thought about it or maybe you didn't get that notice and you came this morning. Is it too late? No. 1 John 1.9 says if we confess our sin, he is what? Faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Faithful, we like to, sometimes people like to think of God that way. Oh, he knows like a grandpa is going to just be there for you. He's faithful. He, you know, he just, it's, it's okay. But that is the only word that's used there. He is faithful and just. He says no. We can deal with the sin right now, right here, because the sacrifice has already been paid and the payment has been applied and your sin is taken care of. It's not just some, you know, the man upstairs or the, the old man who, looking down on us just in a kindly way. No, this is a God who also sent his son as a sacrifice, leaving glory, coming to man, to earth, to be a man, becoming a servant and obedient and going to the cross. Why? To take care of that sin issue. And so we come and we use this opportunity, the Lord's Supper, to say, Lord, It would be foolish to move through this time and, and not deal with the sin in my heart. This is a time to get it right. And then 
to partake joyfully. Why? Because I know it's a done deal. The Lord is taking care of it. It's all in the rearview mirror, and I'm not looking in the mirror. So we're going to give you a moment or two, and they're going to have the men come and share with you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come like Peter did that night. When you went about and washed the disciples' feet. And we say, oh no, we're embarrassed to have our Lord and Master cleaning our feet. Jesus said to Peter that if I don't do this, you have no part of me. And Peter says, then wash me all over. He said, no need, you're already cleansed. Thankfully, Heavenly Father, we come as believers, as those who have become your friends and you have declared us clean. Heavenly Father, like the disciples on the dirty roads coming in, they needed their feet washed, and we, having impacted by the cares and the concerns and the issues of this world, have been somewhat polluted, and we need to be cleansed. And we're thankful that your payment on the cross took care of that as well. We confess our sin. And you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we say, Amen and Amen. We've already talked about these elements, broken bread and the fruit of the vine. What we haven't talked about is who is welcome to partake. But I think we've sort of hinted at it. This is for believers. If you're an unbeliever, you can just refrain and watch and observe and contemplate the person and the work of Jesus Christ. But if you're a believer, whether you're a member or not, you're welcome to participate. Men will come by, share the elements, take some, and hold them and we'll give you a signal. And uh, these emblems are just emblems. They just stay what they are. Unleavened bread, grape juice. But boy, do they speak to something much more significant to us. So I'm going to invite the men to come and we'll share these elements. Tom, would you lead us in prayer and we'll share the bread. Our precious and heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, this opportunity to hear your word, 
and to reflect upon what you've done for us up on the cross. That your body was broken for us. That we would be called friends because of the finished work on the cross. We thank you for all that you do in our lives. And we give you the glory and the praise in Jesus' name. Thinking of some of the words to the songs of, that he plays and how other believers in other times and other places have been moved by the very same things that we're thinking about and talking about and have put the music down for us to enjoy and they resonate and, and speak to our hearts. We come to this first element the broken unleavened bread represents that sinless life of Jesus Christ. Tempted and tested in all ways like we are yet without sin. And yet he suffered at the hands of those that he had created. He came into his own and his own received him not to as many as received him would he give them everlasting life let's eat to that sacrifice in the body of Jesus Christ Second element is grape juice, and Mike, if you lead us in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we praise you and we thank you again that we can come together as a family and just lift you up in praise and thanks. May you be honored with the, the lives that you have given us to, to serve you and shine your light to our community, to each other and to those who need to see you and know you. Use us mightily for your glory. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus, for the blood that was shed for us, that we may have this everlasting life. What you've done for us is magnificent. It's so awesome. It's hard to grasp because you're so generous and loving and giving Not only has Jesus died for us, but he's risen again and is alive. And he's always there for us, working through us. Lord, we just thank you. May all glory and honor be unto you. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. to that other element that is full of history from that first animal in the garden whose life was given up to provide a covering for Adam and Eve down through all the sacrifices in the Old Testament all those things that were offered up at the tabernacle and then the temple and then we come to the New Testament and Jesus Christ is declared to be the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. We know that without the sacrifice of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And that speaks of the sacrifice of the very Son of God on our behalf. Let's drink to that new covenant in his blood. going to ask the men to collect the cups, if you will. <clears throat> 